I see heartfelt leadership is a, a, a sort of a it is a new model of what I would call influence, where you're taking um, a bunch of your skill sets, both your masculine skill sets, your logic, uh, your planning, your your tasks um, skill sets, and you're balancing them with your feminine skill sets, so your creativity, your intuition, your relationships. Uh, your reflective skill sets, and you're putting them together in a way that's more courageous and that you're then influencing the people around you because you're approaching it in a more balanced fashion than perhaps what some of us have been used to. The true meaning of leadership is to plant trees under whose shade you do not expect to sit, which kind of sums up my personal philosophy. Welcome to the Get Invested podcast where we share great conversations with experts from all walks of life to uncover their secret know-how and where they invest their time, their skills and their money and the benefits that this has created. You see, the truth is that everyone invests. Every minute of every day, we're investing our time, our skills, our energy and our money in something. Some of us are investing consciously, some unconsciously, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad, sometimes for no impact. Get Invested will help you to start living by design, not by default. I'm going to help you to make it happen, not let it happen. You'll hear the top tips on how you can live with conscious intent so that you can live more, work less, and leave a living legacy by investing now. Listen to the show to discover the top tips on how to get started, make the most of your investment journey, and ultimately to be living your dream, not someone else's. More episodes can be found on iTunes or at bushymartin.com.au forward slash get invested. Thanks for listening. And now, let's get invested. Hi, Freedom Fighters. Are you a leader? If you said no, then I'm going to challenge you because we're all leaders whether we recognize or not. If you're part of a family, have a family of your own, a part of a team in your work or socially, or you're someone who makes courageous choices in trying conditions, then you're exhibiting personal leadership. Because our entire lives are about personal leadership, whether we're leading others or just ourselves. And in any and all of these situations, you need to invest in your head and your heart to make the big decisions, to make the right decisions, and then invest in action. But many traditional top-down command and control approaches to leadership fall, fall very short. And this is where Kerry Swan and her unique approach to investing in heartfelt leadership comes to your rescue. Like yours truly, Kerry's a born and bred project manager from the bush whose entrepreneurial spirit, coaching skills and love of property now sees her leading four diverse family businesses across real estate, earth moving and agribusiness with a team of more than 35 people. And amongst all of this, and I'm sure Kerry just doesn't sleep at night, as she's managed to write and publish her new book on investing in heartfelt leadership which teaches you how to lead yourself by getting clear about what you want in your life, as well as leading others in the way they want to be led. So welcome, and let's get invested, Kerry. Welcome. Thank you. Bushy, what a great introduction. That was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, Really looking to enjoy a a great chat with you today. We share a lot in common, but Uh uh, as we get into it, and before we get into it, I guess, I'd just like you to give us a quick run through on who you are, what you do, but most importantly why you do what you do, please. Yeah, so these days I'm uh, working in a business development role across what we call loosely the SWAN group. So that's the four 
uh, entities that make up our um, business interests. So we've got, as you said, interest in real estate, earth moving, agribusiness. Um, and so I work across that portfolio um, in the back end, doing the business development and leadership development across those businesses. Um, but interesting question, why do I do what I do? Um, I really come at each day with a view that I'm trying to um, build leaders, but more importantly, sustain the communities in which the, that we're invested in, that we work in, that we live in. So I see business development, leadership development sort of interchangeably um, put together. And why do I do it? It's because when I'm done, I hope that there's a legacy of strong people, strong businesses and strong communities. Yeah, love it. Love that. Now, before I sort of dive back into a little bit of the history around that and get you to give us a bit of a reader's digest on that, yeah. I'd love for you to share something unique or interesting about yourself that you've uh, never been brave enough or had the opportunity to share publicly before. Um, probably something that I haven't shared publicly so far is um, my um, life's ambition is to plant a million trees in my lifetime. So at the moment I'm sitting at about, I don't know, probably 50,000, uh, 40, 40,000 or something like that over my lifetime. So I'm a, a little way short, but it's something that's going to drive me um, over the next 20 years or so to try and see if I can hit that million tree target. Love it. It's a, a great metaphor really for um, uh, what you're doing in leadership too, I think, because it's planting planting a lot of seeds and Correct. then uh, giving, nurturing them and, and protecting them and supporting them on their journey to growth over a, over a long period of time. And it's, it, it's really interesting that uh, we, we share that in common as well. My good father and I, uh, uh, God bless him, uh, got a uh, farm up at the top of Wollonga Hill on the Flurio Peninsula and uh, the, the bare hills there, ah. very, uh, we were part of the Trees for Life um, uh, exercise that uh, we planted 110,000 trees back on the... Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and really created a, a green corridor between the uh, the road at the top of the hill and the, the edge of Wollonga and the, the amount of flora and fauna that has actually come back in as a result of that has just been exceptional, actually. Oh, that's fantastic. So, that's uh, yeah, I lo love your vision around that. Uh, that that's awesome. And, uh, and as I say, a, a really good metaphor for the work that you're doing um, mm. beyond that in terms of uh, supporting people on their leadership journeys. Mm. But uh, so let's dig into that a little bit of that now because I'd, yep. I'd love for you to sort of take us through what you've invested your time, energy, money in over the years and why and how has this led you to where you are and what you're doing now? Oh, okay. So um, as you said, I'm a kid from the country uh, in the late 80s. Uh, I grew up in the Mallee in South Australia and um, it was a pretty diabolical time, really high interest rates, um, not many jobs and so forth. So I found myself in the city at the age of 16 in a, in a job with government and um, spent some time, about 10 years in government um, and then kind of by accident found myself um, into the regional development space where I, I guess I learnt or did most of my work in sort of the project management field, um, really sharpened my, soared my skill set um, around project management in those days. And then that kind of led me into starting a consulting business when my kids were tiny little babies. Um, and then from there I've sort of morphed into 
um, a property development business with my family, um, which also then grew into a real estate business. And more recently, um, we've started investing in other business opportunities. So I guess um, where have I invested my time and energy over the years? It's really been in um, in my own skill development, but also in property development um, and really from a sort of family um, family model of investment. Love it, love it. But let's uh, want to sort of talk a, a little bit on prop, uh, project management if we can. Because, yep. uh, you know, I'd, like you, I, I actually see it as a fundamental skill uh, that, that really uh, underpins uh, the success of anything you do in life. So they're very generic skills, uh, project management, generally applied to, applied to much bigger things, but the, the, the key elements of, of project management are relevant to doing any task, as yep. a matter of fact. So I'd, I'd love for you to just give, a, give us your thoughts on what are the, the key elements of uh, project management in a context where people can apply those uh, in their daily lives. Yeah, so I was fortunate that I um, not only worked as a project manager during those Govy and regional development days, but I also um, was fortunate to then teach project management through the Australian Institute of Management for quite a while. And so I was, I've been exposed to lots of different um, businesses, um, everything from, you know, the submarine corp through to small um, property development ventures. But the principles of project management um, apply whether it's a whether it's building a submarine through to renovating your bathroom. And so the principles of project management um, is an interesting one because there, there is a lot of overlap into leadership. Um, and the way that I see project management is that it's a balance of art and science, meaning that what we tend to learn when we're first in project management is all the science side of project management. So we learn about... Um, scoping out the project, getting really clear about the boundaries. We get really clear about time and cost. How long is this project going to take? Um, how much is this project going to cost us? And then we get down to the task. So in my world, that's very much the science of project management. It's all the logical and analytical elements of a project. But as we mature and we grow into project management, we realise that the flip side to the coin is uh, is the art of project management. Um, and you get projects done with humans um, and you get projects done in the midst of chaos, meaning that things will happen that are outside of your control. So people um, have things going on at home, people get sick, we have pandemics, we have um, job changes, people changes. And the, the, the art of project management is um, managing and balancing the human side of project management. And so a really good project manager needs to become very adept at, um, I guess you could say, the, the more heartfelt, the softer skills. So the, um, the creativity, the innovation, the empathy, um, the relationship building, the connections that they make with, with the people and contractors and humans that they're working on the projects with. So over time, um, I definitely could teach people all about the science of project management, the logic, uh, the scheduling, the budgeting, um, the process. But over time, I became more and more aware that I also needed to teach them about the, the art of project management, which is the human 
and heartfelt element of anything that we're getting done. Yeah, beautiful. And there's the, I guess, the uh, distinction between the head and the heart again. Because uh, a lot of the, the science stuff is the, is the logical, rational, head-based mm -hmm. stuff. Yep. Uh, the, the, the soft skills and the ability to uh, inspire, motivate, lead and manage people, uh, which is, you know, feeds beautifully into, into your new book. Uh, mm. is where the, the challenging piece comes and it's, it's – uh, tell me if I'm wrong here, but it's probably something that's difficult to teach because it's, it's more experiential than the other. Yeah. What's, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think um, if I reflect back on the days when I was teaching project management, um, you know, I'd start the programs off with 15, 20 people in the room and and – Everybody in the room, particularly when you're new to project management or even leadership, when you're new to it, you want to know what the rules are. You want to know how 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 do I do this? How do I fix this? How do I avoid that? And so definitely we can teach teach those hard skills because they're obvious um, or overt. Uh, but it's not until you come up to the chaos or the the uh, iterative cycle of project management where something goes wrong. Um, that you you then suddenly realise, hang on, I need in, I need in my toolkit um, a bunch of other skills. I need some um, coaching, mentoring, um, motivating uh, skills in my in my toolkit, so that I can help this human, this person, through their challenge. And the challenge could be simply that they don't they don't know enough about the task that you've given them, so they're they're doubting themselves. So you need to help them through that process, or they've had you know, a health scare. So you need to um, swap out that person and, and put somebody else in there. And so then you've got to um, reorient your team. So you often don't know what you don't, you don't know what you don't know until until you get some sort of crisis or chaos inside your project. And then suddenly you go, Kerry, how do I fix this bit? How do I, how do I work with this person that's going through some tough stuff? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I guess because of the dynamics of every one of us as individuals, where every one of us thinks differently, acts differently in different situations, it becomes a very situational approach, which means that the, those heartfelt, the empathy, the understanding of where someone's at and, and what they need at that particular time is where that art comes into the equation. I'd, what, mm. what I'd love for you to do for us, if you, if you can please, Kerry, is mm. to... Uh, apply that to, uh, and, and given your uh, and our mutual interest in property as well, talk us through, if you can, an example of where uh, the the art of project management you've had to utilise in a in a in a, a property setting to give us a sense of uh, how that actually works on the ground. Um, probably. Like a good example of that is uh, early on, I did a lot of um, property development with mum and dad. So we took on some commercial assets, uh, renovated those assets and then turned them into a new use. So we turned an old bank building into a to an office and extended it and so forth. And so the project manager and me, and I remember, <laughs> went straight at it with a Excel spreadsheet um, <laughs> Uh, a Gantt chart, so a timeline um, and a and a budget, and and away I went because I I knew what I wanted, but didn't factor <laughs> didn't factor in um, things like the relationship building that you need to do to get your local council on board, or 
to get your tradies on board, um, but perhaps the local council is is a good example of that. So same thing, you go in there and they pull out their rule book. So you're the project manager and they've got their rule book and then you start belting each other about the rules. But in reality, what, what you actually need to do is just spend a bit of time building the relationship with the human on the other side of the desk so that they can see your vision, where are you going with this and what's the, the bigger picture of the development and how that will be of benefit to the community and then working your way through that relationship building so that that they can appreciate um, the benefits and then, of course, then you find your way, you, you negotiate your way through um, to some common ground. You don't get everything that you want but you get a better product for both of you, you and the, the regulator um, as a result of that. Um, working with tradies, <laughs> You know, again, you think that that you're, you're um, it's all black and white, and they've given you a quote, and they're going to promise to be there on a certain date. But they're, they're humans as well, and they've got a lot going on in their personal and business lives. So again, you need to build the relationship um, with the trades so that they understand where your vision is for that project and get them on board. Beer often helped. I was going to um, say the old <laughs> carton currency. I used to call it yeah. carton currency. Friday afternoon yeah. out with a couple of cartons with the boys and the yeah. girls. Yeah. Uh, it seemed to, to carry far more weight than uh, anything else that I could do yeah. in throwing a couple of snags on the barbie. Uh, it, it seemed to work wonders. Is that, is that yeah, clearly if, something if that's dig, worked for you too? Correct. And if you, if you dig around that from a human psychology perspective, those guys and, and girls uh, – are looking for the same level of connection that you are as a human as well. So they want to be part of something bigger, something a bit more exciting, but also just something fun. And so if it's all about busting them up about timelines and payments and uh, details, that, that that's not a whole lot of fun, but an hour's worth of beer and barbecues on a Friday or, or morning tea or something like that where you actually talk about what's going on for them, what's going on for you and what we're actually creating here and get them involved in the vision of what you're creating does so much more for the project than, um, you know, a tightly managed, tightly scoped, tightly controlled project will ever do. Yeah, I think you've very well described there the difference between leadership and management because Mm. management's about about control to some degree. Leadership's about inspiration and motivation and... uh, There's a very big chasm between the two often. Tell me, uh, sort of pivoting slightly here, yep. uh, if we look back then on, on your journey so far, what event in your life has brought about your greatest learnings in your, and your best changes and improvements, do you think? Um, I, I definitely would credit my mate Sandy um, with, with being a pivotal uh, point in my life, uh, particularly as a, as a leader. Um, so Sandy uh, is my best mate. She unfortunately passed away um, six years ago from ovarian cancer. But prior to that, her and I had this um, sort of yin-yang relationship. So if you can imagine Kerry, um, I don't know, 2.0 of 10 years ago, I was completely project management driven, completely lived for the tasks, the schedule, the cost, the bud you know, the budget, the timeline, the whatever, the process, the systems. <laughs> that's how that's how I survived. Yeah. Um I was also a single parent at that time. So um, you know, project management gave me a real sense of control that I was in charge. 
um, where Sandy was the polar opposite. She's a very um, human relationship, connection-driven personality. And she was a great mate, um, and I, you know, I miss her dearly. But uh, going back about seven or eight years ago, I was doing some leadership work, uh, being called in um, at the last minute by a client. Um, the client had sacked the previous consultant um, because they thought they were no good, so they'd sacked them and gave them pretty short notice. And so at short notice, they rang me up and said, look, we've got this group of CEOs um, do you reckon you could come in and um, deliver a leadership for them? And they're CEOs of um, business, like um, mid-sized businesses. These were my people. I said, sure, no problem at all. At that stage, I was doing a lot of teaching and leadership work. And so I just had a portfolio of things I could just pull off the shelf. So I smashed together a um, session all done short notice, all done last minute and went off and delivered this leadership session. I thought I'd aced it. I thought it was fantastic. I thought I had good um, interaction in the room and at the very end of the session, the client came up to me and gave me some feedback and she said, Kerry, I just I just don't think you hit the mark there. I just got to tell you that that was really flat and it was off point and you just, you just didn't hit it at all. I, I couldn't like she couldn't knock me over like I just I couldn't have, I couldn't believe it, mm. um, just couldn't believe it. So I had a fairly long drive home. So I drove home that night and just couldn't get my head around what what had gone wrong. And um, a couple of days later, I met up with Sandy and I was, I was boiling by this stage, and she <laughs> she took me down the local local pub, put me on a bar stool, poured me a drink. Um, we had a drink, let me rant and rave for that 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 drink and then poured me a second drink and um, this is the moment and so I'm ready for her to get a um, pitchfork, get in the car with me, I'm going to drive back, I'm going to take this person down and just tell her how unfair and un unreasonable her feedback was and and Sandy says to me, she turns to me and she says, um, Kerry, like, why is this? Why is this lady? She was a lady. Why is this lady so far up your, up your ass? And I go, what do you mean? Like, I, like, I, like I paused. I couldn't get the words out. I go like, 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 what do you mean? And she goes, like, you know your stuff. This, these are your people. Like, this is something that you could do with your eyes closed. Why is this woman so far up, up your bum? And I, I really just had to sit there for about a good long minute and really. You know, like I'm, I'm like I keep saying, I'm boiling point, and I, and I had to really stop and think about it. And when I finally thought about it deeply enough, I actually had to admit to myself that you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in my personal life at that stage. I was divorced and little kids and all sorts of terrible stuff going on, and I was um, poorly prepared, and I hadn't done, I hadn't done the work that I needed to to. Um, to suit the needs of the audience and stuff. So it was all about me and my lack of preparation and, and the, this lady, she just fed back what the universe needed to tell me. So it was it was a really tough conversation and a real, but it was also the genesis for my growth and development uh, into what I call heartfelt leadership because I had been to that point completely uh, focused on the control 
side of project management, if I just controlled everything down to the last minute and to the last task and to the last dollar, no one could criticise me. Um, But I wasn't bringing my full self or um, the connection uh, or my full self to to the scenario. So, yeah, Sandy, um, without a doubt, is one of the biggest catalysts or that conversation with her was one of the catalysts in my leadership career. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing that quite confronting moment, uh, Kerry. I, those sort of uh, brutal honesty conversations, uh, I mean, it, I, I've got to say, just listening to that, it would have taken Sandy a fair bit of courage uh, to be able to uh, have that conversation with you, and most people don't. Uh, oh, 100%. Yep. It's, and I, you know, I guess from my own perspective, I, I actually enjoy robust conversations because uh, that's that's when you really hear the truth uh, is that something that uh, you you know when we talk about heartfelt leadership which we'll get into again shortly is is that sort of robust honest and open communication uh, something that that another legacy that Sandy's left with you in terms of how you approach life now yeah yeah definitely um, so again I was I was fortunate to spend about 20 years as a consultant um, prior to the real estate business and um, both Sandy and others, uh, you know, and project management, I've just learned along the way that um, having difficult conversations are critical uh, for our own growth and the growth of others, particularly in a, a leadership or self-leadership um, perspective. Um, in, in our current uh, environment, our current culture, uh, it's really easy for any one of us to, to send an email, send a text message, send a messenger group conversation about something that we're not happy about um, because all of those tools are available to us. Um, but it's a really a mark of the human, the measure of the human when they're prepared to um, have that difficult conversation with you and and sit with the discomfort of the conversation um and in in my book we talk about just the importance of those conversations and i talk about how how to have those conversations and also talk about the beauty of a car park conversation as well um years ago i was uh working with a not-for-profit organization and there was a lot of um uh, discord between the CEO and the chair of the board. And so when I was doing this project with them, I was doing a sort of strategic project and um, I'd have to work with both of them and, and both of them in turn um, would would spill about how they they were frustrated with the CEO or how they were frustrated with the board chairperson and so forth. Then eventually I just got tired of being sort of caught in the middle and so were most of the board tired of being caught in the middle and eventually I just – um, had the conversation with the chair and said, look, you, you guys, the two of you just really need to have what I would call a car park conversation and it's something that's off record um, and literally in the car park if you have to do it that way and just sort out your differences because it's it's causing so much friction right across the organisation. And even for me, that was fairly confronting to say to the chair, like, you know, he's my client, um, yeah. you, need, you need to do this. Yep. And blow me down, they did. So they literally, after a board meeting, literally stood in the car park and had the conversation with each other, cleared the air um, and then went on to 
um, you know, support the development of that not-for-profit, which was at a pretty difficult sort of crossroad at the time. And so I say it tongue-in-cheek, you know, you, ha- you need to have the car park conversation. Um, I say it tongue-in-cheek, but it's actually what needs to happen. And instead of sending each other text messages or emails and getting on your soapbox, it's actually about having the courage to say it out loud and test it out with the other person so that the other person can reflect back back their truth and there's not too many humans in our fast-paced busy electronic world that do that anymore but the ones that do just have powerful impact on those people around them totally agree we've got a a rule uh, not really a rule but a a guiding principle in our business that an email is just the confirmation of a conversation that you've already had oh thank god yeah Uh, because uh, (laughs) we i think we become quite gutless Actually, yes. Kerry, uh, yeah. people say some frightful things uh, mm. on social media that they would mm. never have the guts to say if they were looking at someone in the eye. Yep. Uh, and and we sort of use a, a, a brutal honesty, keep, stop, start exercise with our team that we run regularly where I'd, every one of us on a, sits around the table and says, uh, Bushy, I want you to keep doing this, I want you to stop doing this, I want you to start doing that. Really? And, That's yeah. cool. And yeah. it, it really flushes out the stuff and it, and it is quite confronting at times because we, the, you know, we're the worst person at knowing ourselves most of the mm. time but other people mm. see it loud and clear. Yeah. And that, that's worked wonders for the, the uh, sort of honesty uh, that happens in the business. And we have a simple rule that if you find yourself talking to your partner at night about something you haven't spoken to someone at work, then we've got a problem. Yeah. And uh, so we really encourage that really open uh, tough love uh, conversations, really. Uh, just be, uh, again, I don't want to go on too much of a tangent, but I think it's such a, a core skill and such a big need at the moment. Uh, can you share, you know, from the book, uh, a couple of pointers that the uh, listeners can take home in relation to how to approach having those tough conversations? Yeah, so, so probably the take home message that I'd like to leave is um, before you have the conversation, um, or even before you, even before that, is I want want people to try and do it when they're they're very much approaching it in a clear head headed way. Like it's not I'm going to go have a tough car park conversation with Kerry because she needs to hear this. It needs to be much more considered that. So first of all, I, just, I want you to get yourself in a space where you where where you're calm about what you want to say. But then do the work on yourself first and think about what, you know, what's my intention here? Is my intention so that um, when I have this conversation, Bushy's going to learn something from this process or he's going to change something from this process or it's going to add to his growth when we have this conversation? What's my intention? And when, when we're comfortable that our intention is for the growth and development or the betterment of the person or the organisation and you get clear about that intention, then you can start to structure up what is it that I need to say. And often what happens um, if we've come from the command and control style of leadership, we think that we have to go into a car park conversation um, with the answer. We think they have to tell the person what they need to do and we we feel that we have to correct them. Um, that's not what we're looking for here. What we're looking for is let's make sure that I'm calm, number one. Number two, that my intention for this conversation is good and clean. And then to simply play it with a straight bat and say, I, I'm, I need Bushy to tell 
you or ask you or I'm curious about what's going on for you because I've noticed this. And so keep keep your languaging uh, open and curious rather than, um, uh, I guess, judgmental and, and locked down. So those conversations will go a lot better if you're bringing uh, your whole intent and intentional self to the conversation rather than feeling like you've got to tell someone off. Yeah, beautiful. And, and giving it some space. I mean, uh, yep. the worst time to have the conversation is when the emotion's running right. Yeah. I've often said to members of our team, uh, uh, get all, write all your th- thoughts down, get it down, then screw it up and chuck that in the bin, sleep on it, and then, then the next day come in with a, a questioning approach. Uh, not, yep. not a telling approach, but ask questions that, that can lead yep. the other party to understand where you're coming from and then you're more likely to have a better outcome. Uh, love that. Absolutely love that. Well, I want to switch into the investment sphere for a minute and I'd love mm-hmm. for you to share, give, given that you've obviously been actively involved in the property arena in, in various forms over the years, uh, tell us about what's been your best and worst investment and what you've learned from them. Um. Interestingly, um, my best investment has been has been the investment in one myself, like the personal development and growth that I've done for myself, and equally investment in our businesses um, has been our most successful, I guess, if you like, and most satisfying investment. Um, the worst um, investments probably been. Um, some of the rental choices that I made back in in my 30s and and 40s, early 30s, early 40s, um, where it was those investment choices were more about my ego and being seen to be doing um, investment because it looked good. Whereas these days, um, like without a doubt, I would um, choose over and over investing in the business uh, before I would go and buy something fancy to make myself feel good. Yeah, can you give us an Mm. example of what you mean by that? Yeah, so um, years ago I um, uh, invested in a a river property, um, really nice, nice property, um, did a beautiful renovation on that property. It was um, something that I really enjoyed at the time, enjoyed the, the process of the renovation um, but the actual investment and the performance of that investment um, was really disappointing um, and probably I, I chose that because I just liked the idea of it rather than doing doing the numbers on it. So that's probably an example where my heart has taken over from my logic. So it goes both ways. Um, whereas more recently we've invested in a earth-moving business, we've, we've bought um, key elements of a um, distressed estate and we've been putting that back together in a, a more sustainable way and that investment is is hugely satisfying in terms of the business development side of the process but also the long-term, you know, financial um, success that, that that business will bring. So it's I think it's really about... Um, it does need to be a bit of head and heart. There's the there's stuff that I want to do it because I'm interested in it or I like it, but I also need to um, back that up with some logic and, and look for um, uh, good, strong returns because I'm going to exchange some of my energy uh, for for this project or for this investment. I want to make sure I'm going to get good, strong returns 
from that as well. Yeah, definitely. So there is that balance between, the, as you'd well put it, the the ego and and often the ego and and the because property in particular can be quite emotional and you start doing yep. stuff that you would like rather than what's going to correct that sort of minimal investment to get the the return on it. And yeah, uh, and I think that that was sorry that was the definitely the river property. <laughs> Is you know like it was something I liked and something I wanted to do, but I, the, the numbers and the energy just didn't stack up to yeah. it. Mm. Yeah, it's easy to overcapitalise in those situations. And once you get into that rhythm, uh, you spend money here, and then oh well, we have to spend that money on this thing to, to complement what we've already done there. And before you know it, the the budget's blown, and and you spent way more than you thought and the market tells you what it's worth or what they're prepared to either rent it or buy it for and suddenly there's, ooh, okay. Mm. Yeah, not uncommon. Uh, I'm going to switch gears again now and because you've uh, mentioned the word vision a number of times in our chat mm-hmm. already uh, today, Kerry, and I'd love you to sort of paint a, a vision of your ideal lifestyle and, and your life vision as you see it. Yeah, so this is something that we do do a bit of work on both individually and collectively at, at, across our businesses and family assets and so forth and for me, um, uh, one of the reasons that I wrote the book was that I actually wanted to leave um, a legacy for my daughters that, you know, uh, down the track, if I wasn't around, there was there would be some piece of Kerry left behind that they could reflect on. So that 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 spirit, that energy, really um, reflects in how we approach our businesses as well. Um, that our vision uh, for our collective businesses is that we um, have a sustainable community. We live in rural South Australia um, that has its um, ups and downs, but if if I can leave my community in um, a stronger and more sustainable position than it was when I started, that that's really my overarching uh, vision for business. Love yeah. it. You're, you're what I would class as an outvester as an well out-vester. as an investor because yeah. you're, you're outwardly investing in the, the interests and the needs of those around you rather than purely investing in what's right for you. Yep. So, yeah, okay. So, uh, sort of leaving that uh, community vi- uh, vision and the, the outvesting component that's really key to you and uh, I'd absolutely commend you for that because it's the, the, there's a selflessness that, that goes with that. Uh, tell me uh, to support uh, that vision you have for your business and your community and your life, uh, in the whole cold hard terms, what, what's your investment strategy that's helping to achieve that and, and why? Yeah, um, we work across um, our business portfolio uh, with the view that over time both Craig and I would become uh, facilitators of the business rather than being the business. So we've talked already today a lot about um, Kerry, the project manager, and and I'm a sort of hands-on, boots-and-all, fix-everything kind of personality. And as our businesses have grown, the workload just gets bigger and bigger and, and I and I just personally can't get it all done by myself. So I've had to change my investment strategy, if you like, into one where I'm investing in the people around me so that they learn, grow and develop so that they can take on 
um, parts of the business so that, that I can truly become more of a facilitator across the businesses and facilitate the growth of humans and, and, the, and the businesses. Yeah. Um, and that takes a lot of courage to let go of the tools and, and let somebody else take charge of that. So ultimately, um, free, you know, ultimately I'm working towards a, a model which gives me more freedom. Um, uh, but to do that, and it's not always easy, but to do that, I have to let go of the reins and reinvest that energy into, into the humans around me. Yeah, I love it. And, that, and as a hands-on project manager, that's, that's going to be a very challenging exercise, I reckon, because I've, I've had the same issues 100%. over the years. And yeah. uh, luckily, I've got a great partner who just keeps slapping me around when I uh, <laughs> want to get lost in the weeds. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> and it's, it's the old story, uh, you know, people can never do things as well as you can, but you've got to let yep. them make that mistake and, and it, it won't be perfect the first time, but the more they do it, the better they're going to get. So yep. uh, <laughs> that's going to be uh, fun and games, I reckon, there. But yep. uh, I'd love to switch now into uh, deep dive into Heartfelt Leadership and your book, mm-hmm. if we can. Uh, yep. And just start with, you know, why did you write it uh, other than leaving a legacy for your daughters? What are the key messages and who's best suited to read it? Yeah, so Heartfelt Leadership really is about, a, it, outside of the legacy piece, it is a record of my my project management stage of life and the things that I that I learnt through that process. So it's ideally targeted to somebody that's uh, a senior leader inside an organisation, particularly those that are managing teams and, and people and, um, you know, have grown, particularly the ones that have grown up through the technical ranks. So somebody that's been a technical expert and because they're good at that, they've found themselves suddenly managing people. So it's a book that's really about um, providing triage or emergency support for those senior leaders who are now um, grappling with how do, how do I work with my team and, and how do I fix things. Yeah, love it. So uh, can you start by then defining what is heartfelt leadership as you see it and how it differs from the traditional view of leadership? Yeah, so uh, I grew up in the in the 80s in, in public service and project management and the sort of leadership that I was exposed to in those days was very much the command and control model. Um, I'm the boss, here's what I want you to do kind of model. Um, where I see heartfelt leadership is a, a, a sort of a, it is a new model of what I would call influence, where you're taking um, a, a bunch of your skill sets, both your masculine skill sets, your logic, uh, your planning, your, your tasks, um, skill sets, and you're balancing them with your feminine skill sets, so your creativity, your intuition, your relationships, uh, your reflective skill sets, and you're putting them together in a way that's more courageous and that you're then influencing the people around you because you, you're approaching it in a more balanced fashion than perhaps what some of us have been used to. Yeah, I love it. It's more a, more a bottom-up than a top-down approach yep. where you're supporting others, creating a circle of safety, allowing them to fail but learn as they go and then uh, having a shared vision so that... Uh, everyone's allowed to uh, do that at their own pace but feel that they, they've got their backs covered. Yeah, and, and very way. much, yeah, and very much um, 
uh, fostering a, a learning-based culture rather than one of um, blame and fault-finding, um, which you know, some of us grew up with that, that style of leadership as well. Yeah, love it. Well, you, you outlined uh, nine great principles that are attached to heart, heartfelt leadership. Can you sort of mm-hmm. give us a, a potted summary of uh, what those nine principles are? Sure. Um, the first three are very much um, project management um, principles. So the first principle is really getting clear about what you want, um, both for yourself but also for your team, and, and we work our way through processes to do that. Uh, second principle is about working backwards on your plan, um, having a good plan but allowing for some chaos uh, and creativity with that plan. And the third one is um, taking responsibility for your own shit, and that's where I really talk a lot about that conversation with Sandy and and how I actually had to own my own part in that process rather than looking for um, fault on the other side. So the first three principles really draw on um, project management um, concepts. The the second three principles are more about the interaction uh, with with your team and we talk, I talk uh, a lot about the importance of having difficult conversations um, in terms of um, uh, influencing the people around you. Um, One of my favourite chapters uh, and principles is around choosing your words and as a leadership, the, as a leader, the, the words that we use matter. And so I've got some great little tips in there, just simple little strategies about choosing better words when you're interacting with your team. Yeah, and, then the, sorry, and then the third one of that set is um, about um, uh, keeping it real for you and your team, um, which is about um, responsibility and accountability and how do you hold the people around you um, accountable for their jobs. Uh, so that, that that second set of three are really around interacting with your team and how to build better relationships. And then the final set, uh, the final three, the principle around um, feeding your team their favourite food. Uh, one of the traps that we fall into as leaders is we often tell them what we want them to know rather than uh, doing too much listening. So I, t- I sort of break down the principle of about working with your team. Yeah. Um, celebrating success because life is short is uh, is a very powerful principle for me uh, on the back of um, Sandy but also uh, many other people that we've lost in our journey. Um, we just don't know what's around the corner. So I talk a lot about the importance of celebrating the little wins and the big wins with your team and, and how to go about that. And then the final um, principle from heartfelt leadership is knowing that our life is a iterative process. So we're not going to get it right. We're not going to get it right um, every day. It's what we learn from that. And then what do we need to do to reiterate or re-focus um, whatever it is that we're working on, whether it's work, life, home, family, and and keep keep um, leaning into it as a, a learning journey rather than a um, perfect journey. Yeah, I love it. It's, uh, it covers the, the full scope there. Just just diving mm-hmm. in because this, this is something that uh, I've got an interest in given the sort of living by design approach where we get mm-hmm. very clear on what the end result looks like and then work backwards. Can you sort of give us a, a couple of uh, – 
pieces of gold from uh, what you've distilled in the book around uh, how we can get clear about what we want. Yeah, so I'm um, a big fan of um, taking time out and for me it's getting into nature and, and, and going for a big walk and clearing the head but some of my clients and friends and family, it can happen in the shower, it can happen when they're driving, it can happen on a holiday. So I'm a big fan for just taking that time out of the day-to-day busyness and and really listening very carefully to what's going on in your heart in terms of what, what you want your world to look like. Um, the project manager in me wants to rush in there and start applying logic to it, saying, no, that's not possible and this will take too long and whatever. And so I really practice the discipline of really doing the um, the vision making first. And when you get a bit clearer about what, what your vision is, then I'll allow the project manager to come in and start working backwards and start saying, okay, now how, like how and what and when and where would I need to do to, to achieve that vision? I guess the danger of us being really busy people is that we don't allow enough space for the the heartfelt vision making. And so I really encourage people just just get out there in nature and and spend you know an hour or two once a week thinking about that so that you can identify uh, am I on track or where do I want to be? Yeah, I love it, love it. Well, the, the it's a, it's an awesome read. Uh, I, I've sped read it because uh, uh, I just love to read and there's some, some great gold in it. Uh, to, if you could sum up for us then, what do you think it takes to be a heartfelt leader, Kelly? Um, 100% uh, self-responsibility and accountability. So um, as a heartfelt leader, um, we are in, well, as a leader, we're in positions of influence and uh, we need to own that influence both to the people around us but also to ourselves and it's really about having truthful conversations with ourselves but also the people around us. So having the courage to go inwards and think about um, what's the best outcome in this situation both for me and for the people around me. Yeah, love it. Awesome. Awesome summary. Uh, I, I really do encourage anyone who's has any brush with uh, leadership to grab a, a copy of Kerry's book. It's uh, an awesome read, and it, it is it touches on the the soft stuff, uh, the, the the hard stuff, and the, the head stuffs everywhere. But the uh, taking in on board that uh, situational, empathetic, uh, intuitive approach to the human need is, is something that's sadly missed, unfortunately. So a great opportunity for people to, to grab that. I want to switch now into what I call the, the ambush fast four. So four quick questions that, uh, like, that the listeners love to glean your words of wisdom on. So your bushfire lightning round starts now, Kerry. And Excellent. Uh, first of those questions is, what's your favourite quote and why? Uh, my favourite quote is by, I think, uh, Nelson Henderson, and he says that the true meaning of leadership is to plant trees under whose shade you do not expect to sit, which kind of sums up my personal philosophy. Love it. Love it. Yeah, that's that selflessness coming through and the long-term vision mm. of doing things today that you might not see a direct result but are going to have a massive benefit down the track. 
So uh, that's a great quote. Uh, apart from your book then, what's the top book that you'd recommend uh, listeners have a read of and why? Uh, so this is um, sort of a time-honoured book that every so often I'll pick up and read when I've perhaps lost my way. So my recommendation would be The Alchemist um, by Paulo Coelho. I'm not quite sure how you say his last name. But he tells the story of Santiago's uh, journey to self and um, it's a little fable. It's an easy, short read but just reminds us that uh, we're all on a journey and that often the gold that we seek is inside rather than outside. So um, it's just a little time-honoured tradition to pick that up and read that every so often. Yeah, it's a, always a good reminder. It's a timeless time as far as that goes as well. It's a mm. great book. Um, back on the investments for you then, what, what's the worst and the best piece of investment advice that you've ever received to date? Um Perhaps back back in the 80s, 90s, um, negative gearing uh, uh, properties was probably the worst advice that I ever received um, because we just don't know what's around the corner and sort of only touched on it today, but I found myself as a single parent there for quite a while. And if you're negatively geared um, and you've still got to pay mortgages and um, – fill up the gaps it's it's not a, a not a sound decision um so um yeah so the best the best piece of advice that i've ever received is um the, the flip side to that is back yourself in so whether that's uh, in business um in jobs in relationships or whatever it's it's backing yourself in and and knowing that you've got the the skills and confidence to pull pull water off whatever it is that you're doing yeah i love it well, okay, uh, on the sort of daily front then, what's a, a personal happy habit or a rewarding ritual or daily discipline that's contributed most to your success today? Uh, two things. Um, I, I love getting up early and I love um, a walk. So we live alongside a, alongside a lake. So getting up in the morning, um, being out in nature uh, just really sets me up for the day. And then if I can follow that up with some writing when I come back into to the house um it really uh fulfills me both mentally and and physically before the day started so that's how i like to start the day love it absolutely love it uh, and a beautiful place there at menengi uh, to do exactly that mm-hmm. uh, sort of final question and if you reflect on our conversation today gary uh, where do you think you're going to invest your time and energy and money in the future uh, it's interesting when you when you finish writing a book. There's this hiatus where there's this quiet space, and you're like, okay, what do I do next? But already I know that what's next for me is um, some research work on on my next book, and I I really want to do a piece of work on on courage and the true price of um, self leadership. I want to sort of move away from business leadership and look more deeply into self and personal leadership and I want to st- share some stories around um, real courage and real personal growth. So that's that's a piece of work that I actually just want to do for myself. Um, and then I guess in a business and investment perspective, um, uh, you know, we'll continue to consolidate our leadership team and our business models and and continue to grow them in a sustainable way. Love it, love it. Mm. 
for those that uh, have really keyed into what you're talking about today uh, and want to sort of find out more or get more involved with some of the stuff you're doing, uh, how can they do that, Kerry? Uh, the best way to find me is simply uh, kerryswan.com, my website. Um, you can connect with me there. That takes you to the links to all of the socials and emails, phone calls, whatever you need to do. Love it. Now, I need to mention at this point that as a sort of a, a special for getting investing uh, listeners, uh, Kerry's very generously offered uh, for you to grab a free chapter of the book uh, from the uh, Heartfelt Leadership book. And it's the chapter on choosing your words that you touched mm-hmm. on during our chat today. And I'm assuming they'll be able to get that from directly from your website at uh, kerryswan.com? Yeah, sure. You'll just be able to jump on there and download that chapter straight from the website. Um, it's one, it's the chapter that I use most with, with my other leaders when they're finding themselves in a tight spot around uh, working with their own people and stuff. And it's just, it's full of practical simple solutions that you can put in place um, to make your life as a leader better and, and influence the people around you. Love it. Love it. It's been great chat, Kerry. I really appreciate you uh, being so generous with your time today and uh, we'll look forward to continue watching your journey and, and looking forward to that no- next book on the, the more uh, personal side of leadership. So thanks for your time today. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks, Kerry. Talk soon. Excellent. To get a summary of all this investment gold in the show notes, just email me on hello at khgroup.com.au. That's H-E-L-L-O at khgroup.com.au. Or check us out at www.bushymartin.com.au forward slash get invested. I look forward to joining you next week for another episode of the Get Invested podcast. So thanks for listening. And as always, dream as if you live forever and live as if you die.